Hi, welcome to Talking Design. I'm Stephen Crafty and I'm with architect Rob McGarren, who is uh, a founder of McGarren MGS Architects, one of Melbourne's leading architectural firms. Very interesting guy. I was talking to Rob on our way up and I said, um, architecture's become very synonymous with very glamorous homes and the latest finishes, but it's really, there's so much more to it. So welcome to the program, Rob. Thanks very much, Stephen. I'm really pleased to be here. Let's start with probably, you know, quite a low point in a sense, you know, the homelessness that's yeah. happening in Melbourne and I mean, recently the homeless have been in in, um, in Flinders Street have been uh, removed yeah. yes. uh, for our visitors for the tennis. And that was quite sad to think that in 2017 there's no housing or very little housing for the poor. Yes, it's a, um, this is a uh, something we shouldn't be surprised about. Um, we're going through the first period in our history since Federation where we have the federal government not investing any capital in building new public housing in our states. At the same time, we've had a lull in state government support for investment in housing other than in uh, specific sectors of women in violence and more recently announced homelessness. But those, uh, we've gone from a period where I think I was talking to you earlier, you know, in 2000 when I was doing some research on this topic, we had 14% of our um, housing for rent in inner Melbourne affordable by the lowest 40% of income earners. And now we're under point, uh, one of 1% of um, housing that's available for uh, the uh, lower income earners. So at a time where our city's growing at 100,000 people a year. So surprise, surprise, the old rooming houses are becoming luxury apartments or student accommodation or the like. And, um, and those who have fallen on tough times women who've been victims of family violence who have been encouraged to come forward and um, etc. All of these people are um, uh, finding that there are very few choices uh, for them. When it comes to choice, the, uh, the standard uh, public housing is sometimes fairly ordinary. And, but there's one project that I looked at recently that MGS Architects uh, did near the market that was yeah. really quite a great project. Yeah. It was actually bringing... A sense of home to yes. a, to apartment living and someone who'd be and and to allow people to actually feel proud of their home rather than just a roof over their heads. Yeah, that's. Tell me about that project, Rob. Well, that was a really interesting project for us. That's the drill hall, um, we call it, uh, which is um, on that triangle between Elizabeth and Swanson Street, uh, opposite RMIT, um, and between RMIT and the market, a former army drill hall from uh, early twentieth century. We'd heard that that uh, building, was, uh, which was owned by the City of Melbourne, was likely to be developed for luxury apartments. And um, we approached the uh, City of Melbourne with an alternative proposition to uh, sell it to a not-for-profit organisation for $10. Um, and uh, we thought that sounded an excellent proposition. Um, but there was more to the story, and that was that... Um, uh, in return for them doing that at that time, at that time the federal and state governments both had propositions that if somebody came forward from the not-for-profit sector with $1 for affordable housing, they would uh, provide $3. 
um, in matching funds. And so we were able to uh, also attract the interest of the Meyer Foundation in their 75th year um, to around the idea of social inclusion and bringing the broader public to uh, affordable housing rather than vice versa as well in terms of a mix of uh, activities on the site. They donated $2 million. We were able to then say to the federal government that we have an asset worth $5 million and cash of 2 would they give 21 And that funded housing for 82 people, 25% of them with disabilities in the upper levels, and enabled us to fully restore the old um, drill hall facility as a community hub for um, this growing part of um, Melbourne at the the lower levels. Um, So it's got consulting suites for Dutagala Health um, as a community health facility. And then we've got the hall itself that's available for uh, exhibitions, for when we have the multicultural festivals, there's a big dining experience that goes on in there. And um, it can seat up to 300 or you can have yoga classes and all sorts of other things in that exams, uh, whatever, in so that space. And um, we saw that as a, um, a really nice outcome of having a broader mix of community at ground level and then um, people who could not otherwise afford to live in the uh, facility above. And I believe um, one of the residents in the uh, facility with a disability is um, uh, somebody who is employed by RMIT, and who spoke to me about the fact that he wouldn't be able to work if he wasn't as proximate as he was to um, RMIT. Um, so, you know, um, and a um, 21-year-old girl who'd had a um, um, a brain injury from um, uh, some um, activities, um, I'm not sure of the circumstances, but who'd been having to live in uh, aged facilities because they were the only facilities available. And she was so happy to be able to be in a high-quality home for herself that she could make her, her own, her own per- invest with her own personality. Um, and that was quite a deliberate part of our strategy uh, too. Rob, wasn't one of the residents uh, so excited with the project that they actually their career changed towards heritage architecture yes yes as well yeah yeah oh look this this there's an emerging social story in itself that comes out of giving people a chance and that's what we're you know i've been fortunate in my life you know i went to a tech school i got a scholarship to a private school i discovered that there was this thing called university that none of my family had been involved with but um, it, you know, by being given a shot, the world opened for me, and I just realised that, you know, that if we can, that we have that capacity sometimes to just make little differences, and this was one of those cases. Um, one of the problems, and you probably agree, is that architecture generally isn't talked about in terms of social housing. We're just yeah. so focused on detail finishes, marble benches. We're not really looking at the social side of architecture. Why is that? I mean, there's other. Yeah, look, I, I think that's, well, the the notion of the image has dominated architectural press for a long time, but I think that's changing. Uh, certainly my experience with the younger generation of architects, both within my own practice but also more broadly, is one where um, we are seeing a real shift from the me generation to the us generation, this idea that as a collective... Uh, there is more 
to life, that life has a greater meaning and that if we are going to have a quality of life, it's going to rely on us being more collaborative in how we live. Um, and um, and the, the notion of uh, architecture as the object um, is still appealing to some, but it's but, not the uh, be-all and end-all. And I think the fact that one of our um, community housing projects won a national award for um, being the best high-density housing project in the country, and I think that was the first time that a public housing project had done that, is evidence that the the broader um, perception of design and, and and quality of housing is changing. Rob, you've in terms of you know um, public gestures, you, uh, one of the uh, most generous areas now that's kind of coming up are public libraries. There's a yes. real change with public libraries. Yes. Your library at Bendigo, for example, which one are a major yep. award, a regional award? Yes, Regional Architecture Prize. Award um, is an example where libraries are becoming second homes now. Yeah, well, look, we were, and it's particularly the case in, uh, some, in some areas more than others, that um, um, libraries have been seen as elitist institutions and, uh, and were structured in that way. You had, to, you had to cross the threshold into this um, World. Um, curated quietness um, and uh, in Bendigo that was um, um, the structure of the previous library and uh, we sought to challenge that um, and with the technology that's available nowadays there's no requirement to have only one way in and one way out you know you can check books in and out you know when people just picking one up and walking through the exit um, um, and we were very keen that the library became part of the daily experience of people in Bendigo. And so we literally provided a shortcut street through the public street. So it's through the city in itself. Yeah. And uh, the cafes on that street, the magazine racks and are on that street, and the children's uh, book reading, which has become very popular, and you now have to book for it in Bendigo, it's on that street. So that people are imbued with a... Um, a breadth of community life uh, and relevance of the library to that um, at street level. And for the more ser serious researchers, the traditional library addicts, Still as you exists. move vertically through the building, you can get those quieter spaces. I mean, you see it with our own state library in Melbourne here, that it's moved very much in that direction to being very democratic at street level. Um, Rob, from memory... Uh, there's a separate area at the Bendigo Library for the teenage component yes. or cohort. Yes, yes. Sort of like a separate kind That's of right. acoustically controlled environment. Yeah, well, that and for the children's areas, etc. as well, this idea of providing nodes of um, where subcultures, if you like, can um, feel a greater sense of identity and um, alignment, I suppose, with... Um, uh, uh, how they uh, identify themselves, um, but at the same time maintaining connections with the rest. So it's always this idea of saying we can be we can be different, uh, and we can celebrate our difference in all sorts of ways. But we are part of something bigger, um, and that we're sharing. And the synergies that come from having those blurring of the edges of those things remains important. Another interesting project, I, I feel that was an interesting project um, 
for me anyway, and I think it is for Melbourne, was the ballet school. Yes. The, the students who wanted to live in Melbourne, who were interstate or overseas, yeah. really want a sense of a home. Yeah. And I think that's what MGS is about, creating a home. Yeah. The people who really are, uh, they could be on their own and really haven't got um, the care of parents, they might even be 13 or 14, to <laughs> create much. a home for, rather than just accommodation for talented ballets. Yes, um, well, that's right. Um, the Australian Ballet uh, School came to us because they were um, they were looking uh, to find a uh, place for students who are predominantly under eighteen um, and are coming from a, a vast array of locations and increasingly also an international uh, contingent as part of that uh, group as well. And um, the Australian Ballet was one of the I think was the only uh, ballet uh, school, uh, high, you know, I suppose high-performing ballet school in the world that didn't have residency as um, as a part of the um, experience and pedagogy of the uh, of the school, and they recognised this as a real gap, and because students were very generously, but nevertheless. Um, uh, put into f- um, almost foster homes, or, or you know, um, um, and um, that's uh, difficult in itself. But they lose that um, collegiate uh, opportunity that comes with that dislocation from each other. So the the opportunity in the um, to develop a place that was separate from, if you like, their work of being at the school, um, but provided places for quiet study and cetera, but also social um, places and a place for them to grow up as young you know young teenagers teenagers into adulthood um, was something that we wanted to um, work with the school on and the school I think has been very happy with well, the results what was refreshing about that uh, that design was that you know most people would think it's got the obvious thing mirrored walls yeah Pass, yeah. change rooms. It's none of, none that. of that. It's actually for no. the students to chill out at the exactly end of a very right. long rehearsal day yeah. and to actually forget about body image. Yeah, nice big, nice big bean bags, places where they can get away from the back others. Um, back garden, um, like a home. Yeah, like a home. Absolutely, deliberately like a home, but also. Um, like a home with a lot of kids where there are times where as a teenager you need a quiet place and there's times where you uh, really want to get together with others and so deliberately seeking to achieve both of those things and invested in its materials and finishes with that sort of sense of making um, uh, that um, uh, attempts to um, talk to the idea that it's cared about rather than... um, uh, and it is domestic yeah. in its uh, Rob, you've business. got so many, you're wearing so many hats at the moment, not physically, but mm. you do, you're ambassador for Future Melbourne. Yes. Um, and you're on the advisory committee that reports directly to the Minister yeah. for Planning. Yeah. Huge amount, you're um, looking, you know, at the moment, fishermen spend is one thing. Yes. Yeah. You played. How do you kind of, I mean, I'm interested how an architect can take on so much and so many different roles and be objective because in a sense you have to be objective you have to be yeah look you've got to be uh, i think there's a real opportunity for what architects can bring to a, uh, a a public debate about how our city's futures are shaped and 
and can I say one of the, the most um, delightful experiences I've had is being an ambassador for the Future Melbourne process. Um, and that was a process that sought to engage with the community of Melbourne around ideas that should and themes that should underpin how Melbourne might develop in the next um, 10 years to 2026. Um, this is a document that is citizen-driven um, but um, and goes to an incoming council um, and is, uh, um, if you like, meant to be a um, thematic um, compass of ideas that should underpin council thinking in the ensuing years um, and is done each decade. Uh, and uh, it involves a community uh, after uh, the initial ideas engagement period with the community, and I think we there were more than 3,000 ideas put forward, um, that a citizen's jury uh, selected from across the community comes together over about a five-week period with the support of the ambassadors and other experts that the citizen's jury determines they need to write up this manifesto based on the ideas that have come forward, etc. And, and it gave me enormous... Um, uh, it, uh, I felt uh, really optimistic about our city when I saw how collaboratively this very diverse group um, worked together with an ambition and benevolence for their fellow citizens and wanting to create a great, city, uh, a great city for all, not a great city for some, like um, we'd have believe is um, um, behind all of the decision making, but this was really, you know, uh, for example, what uh, some of the things was uh, that came forward that I was struck with was um, a, uh, a magnification of the uh, significance of our Indigenous history that should come through in all of the decision-making of the council to turn Melbourne not only... Melbourne's become quite a, you would say, a great walking city, but it's not a great cycling city. An ambition of the uh, plan was that Melbourne would become a great cycling city, uh, uh, um, that Melbourne would invest um, sig in significantly in ensuring that it was an inclusive place for all. Um, and these were... This is citizen-driven. This isn't um, politician-driven. And I thought they, uh, they were only some of the examples. And um, the ecological footprint, the cooling of the city, you know, thinking about the future environment of the city, we're all coming through fantastic um, uh, ambitions um, and uh, really carefully considered. Uh, so that was great. What do you, Rob, what do you think of you? I mean, there's so many things that will happen to Melbourne over the next yeah. 10 years. What do you think, in your mind, what would you hopefully like to see as one of the main priorities? Well, look, I think the one of the great initiatives, and I don't think it's been recognised significantly enough yet, is the transformation that will come with the Melbourne Metro. It's going to change the way Melbourne works. You know, you will be in Footscray and 15 minutes later you will be in St Kilda Road. Um, that will be, you know, that we effectively we'll have what I would call the university line 
for the first time. You know, we have a line that connects Monash at Caulfield um, with VU in the, around Flinders Street and, uh, and uh, Melbourne Uni and um, Fed Square and the cultural facilities that are there, RMIT at City North. Um, Melbourne University up at Parkville, so do, out to VU at Footscray. A fantastic uh, opportunity for collaboration between the universities. So um, have more like a village feel, almost like a college city. Well, it, it city. really, the barriers that the rivers have created historically between the central city and particularly the west um, will be uh, substantially diminished um, and I'm really excited about that. I, I think the challenge for us is to bring forward Metro 2 uh, and Metro 2 is a proposition that would link Fisherman's Bend um, uh, right through the city through uh, Southern Cross Station up to Clifton Hill and link the north of Melbourne to in the same way we're proposing to link the west of Melbourne. Um, and that, and, and I say Fisherman's Bend is important there because uh, when we talk about our city, we, we in Melbourne um, uh, have the, um, uh, I, th I think, the chief leadership role in growing Australia in the 21st century in a positive way. You know, we will, we will hear... Uh, Sydneyites at the moment talking a lot about Barangaroo and Barangaroo is about 18 hectares um, our Arden precinct in Melbourne is a similar size Canary Wharf similar size the government has in uh, Fisherman's Bend purchased the Holden site the Holden site alone is 38 hectares so twice the size of Barangaroo and Fisherman's Bend is 450 hectares two and a half to three times the size of the existing CBD and all of that within five kilometres of central Melbourne where we have our major new 21st century jobs, our major academic institutions present with new ideas. So it's, a so it's a, the mix right. So if we get the mix right, if we get the connections right, um, if we get the DNA right, um, uh, it can be, uh, we can be a globally significant city in all the in, in all the right ways a great place to live an inclusive place a place that's managed to negotiate the difficult transition from a 20th century economy to a 21st century economy and given people opportunities for work and ideas and a meaningful life um, a great ecology underpinning it etc these these are we've got an amazing opportunity with the the Ardens, the uh, and Arden Macaulay area, the E Gates, the Fisherman's Bend, all these inner urban Cremorns, all of these inner urban areas. If we think about not painting them with the same roller, but f uh, exploring their individual and important DNA, you know, in Cremorne, for example, it's got an amazing history of uh, innovation. Innovation, whether it was around maltings or energy production or making matches uh, and more recently fashion it's it's been an amazing innovator um, so uh, how do we um, embrace that in and give it a 21st century twist in the same way how do we in the Collingwood precinct where we've got those similar yeah. uh, things going on do we do that you know and how do they complement the the big employer campus footprints of a 
Docklands or whatever, you know. Um, it's To me, it's a really exciting time. And as an architect, I find all of these projects provide an incredibly rich um, research foundation that you know if you try and be if you try and be a sponge you know you learn so much from these other disciplines um, that when we apply the skills that we've been taught as architects to think laterally if you start thinking about well how do these different um, themes uh, come together to make something more than they are as individual silos um, that's where it gets really exciting Rob look thanks so much for coming onto the program today. Pleasure. Uh, fascinating person. You've got, you know, it's nice to see someone who's got the big picture in their head, yeah. even if they're, you know, working on projects on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Look, thanks so much for coming Pleasure, on. Pleasure, Stephen. It's been great to be here. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening.